We're just going to do the whole show with him on mute. And it wouldn't be the same. <laughs> It'd be better. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello from uh, Seth's Crappy Internet. It's episode 415. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Mood. Gentlemen, it's New Year's Eve. It's Dots, Lines, and Destinations. You left that part out. Oh, yeah, it is. Dots, Lines. Is that the name of the show? I, okay. Oh. <laughs> you know, I just know three, idi- three idiots on a microphone. Yeah, it sounds good. I like that show better. <laughs> I mean, it's, it reminds me of an old TV show called Two Guys and a Girl at a Pizza Place. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that. Vaguely remember that. Well, there was Three's Company, too, if you want to play older. But... <laughs> that, was, that was back when Ryan Reynolds was doing TV. That's how he got to start. Oh, yeah. Oh, I miss old television. Anyway, uh, Boeing is getting its exemption. Amazing. It's amazing. Took them to the very last minute. Uh, and in the sort of massive omnibus budget for the next year, Congress and the Senate approved it. Who do you, who do you think played the most? I mean, is it is it a lobbyist for Boeing? You think, or is do they like actually talk to certain senators and Congress people to 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 get this through? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this means this means the dash the Max Seven and the Max Ten are good to go, or is it just the Max Ten? Both. Okay. are allowed to have the older flight deck that the Max 8 and the Max 9 were certified with. Okay. That's and I good think news. Cause they it is good news. And I think if I understood correctly, the original one was like any new planes, but there's a two-year exemption. And the latest version of it is like any aircraft that had started its process by today is exempt. So it doesn't matter how long it takes. Oh, okay. That'll at least get the line moving, right? And some of these orders hopefully delivered in the next year. I would like to think that the 7 can be certified within the next year. I am a little more concerned about the 10, just because it's further back in the process, and it seemed like the FAA was being more, I'll say, detailed in its review. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly Southwest is hoping uh, it gets some Max 7s this year, I'm sure. Well, maybe they're not. I mean, they're going to need the money for something else. But we'll get to that later. Uh details. <laughs> Uh, and then Russia is buying outright, I guess, 10.77Ws that they already have, right? Yeah, this is a weird one. Um, it's being talked about as from a Irish leasing company, which raises some very interesting questions about, uh, the sanctions and whatnot. Yeah. Best I can tell, though, it's like maybe pseudo Irish, but there's a, it's a Russian bank essentially that may have had an office in Ireland. But okay. the, the but, but but still they they still fall under. I don't sanction. think they're sanctioned. Oh, okay. Um, because the there's yeah I I don't think they are because there's no way there hasn't been any movement by any of the governments to allow any of those transactions to happen in euro in euros or to get them off okay. books in Ireland or yeah. anywhere else in Europe for that matter. But mostly Ireland because that's where all the leasing companies are. Yeah. Um. There was a separate conversation, though, also about, like, the Russians trying to make offers to buy out the planes of other planes that are still sanctioned. Mm-hmm. And um, they were trying to do them for, like, 20 to 30% of their prob- their real value. And so the le- it's a sort of battle between the leasing companies and the insurance companies. The insurance companies are like, hey, you're getting paid. That's less money we have to pay out. We like this. 
the leasing companies and the governments are like, yeah, but we're not getting paid enough. And oh, by the way, there's still sanctions and this is good for them. So we don't like that. Um, so there's some interesting headlines over the last couple of weeks, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, does, do you think, could they be forced to sell the the planes if, if they didn't want to? Like you mentioned, they're like, hey, there's still sanctions, but could they be forced to could the insurance company force the transaction yeah yeah i don't think they could for- certainly not while there's still sanctions in play okay right the, the because that would be an insurance company demanding you do something illegal yeah so i'd like to think that can't happen um what if the sanctions disappeared could the insurance company force the transaction i guess at that point would i start to wonder like would you argue the insurance companies own the planes because they're liable for them and so they could take the money but it still have to pay out the rest out of their own whatever bank account. yeah 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 like they they eat the they eat the cost right you want to force us to do this you eat, you eat right them. like okay like okay i have to pay you for 10 planes now if i get them back i get to keep the planes because you've been made whole with cash yeah 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 exactly so i think yeah. subrogation is the word the insurance companies use if i remember correctly I, yeah. They pay out and then go after whoever else to get their money back. Could they do it through like a middle country like Turkey? Probably. Could an, could an Irish leasing company transfer the planes to a Turkish company? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you'd have to have a new lease though, right? Like, and then who owns, I don't know. That's a weird. Like a sublease, right? Do you Could it be a sublease? Because the depending on what the terms of the original lease is, you might not have any restrictions on subleasing. Yeah, I I don't know how the uh, sanctions are written such that, like, are you allowed to enter into a contract of any sort with a Russian company now? Mm. Right, but if they do, a, like, say, an Irish company does a sublease with maybe a company in Turkey or uh, right. Dubai, they could in turn write a different lease. I have to assume there's something in the way the sanctions are written that try to prevent pass-through shell companies because that would be too easy to to circumvent the sanctions. Agree with you. I am not discounting that. Yeah. I, but I also would not be surprised if someone found a loophole. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there there are still transactions happening. So, right, they're still buying nuclear material from Russia to keep the lights on. I mean, I I still see you know there's people posting videos in Russia where it's like, oh look, look at all the Coca Cola. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So even though they're getting it from out. somewhere, yeah, Me- is they getting the good Mexican stuff? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's I think it's coming from Europe somewhere through Turkey, probably, or from the Middle East. Yeah, or from the um, East, yeah. yeah, good times, good times. Oh, sorry, uh, one other thing I want to share: the Irish uh, government has revoked airworthiness airworthiness certificates for like thirty more planes that are leased, but. <laughs> They've also already all been transferred to uh, Russian registries. So they've been flying under their rest. And this is one of those weird things, like, if they leave Russia, are they on the Russian registry or are they on the, the Irish registry? Because in international, under international yeah. law, once they're registered with one country, that one owns it until it releases them and it hasn't released them. It's just basically said it's illegal to fly them. Yeah. So, fun times. Here's Here's a question, right? So these planes are flying to... You know, Cuba, they're flying to Turkey, the Middle East, spots that are friendly with Russia and aren't enforcing sanctions. Right. Could you theoretically be a holding company or, you know, insurance company and have people on the ground there ready to go to repossess the plane? 
I th- yes, and I think most of the planes that are actually doing like the Cuba flights and whatever are not the least aircraft. The least aircraft are mostly flying domestic. Oh, so they're like they're keeping they're keeping them in Russia just for this per- for this case. Or and, and out of the hand, yeah, out of the reach of potential repossession. So there was an issue in Sri Lanka a few months back where a plane was grounded for a cup like Sri Lanka briefly toyed with actually enforcing sanctions because it was a leased plane, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oops, never mind, you guys can go now. Wow. <laughs> but it took a day or two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk, let's talk about United and Mesa. We we talked a little bit about this. They're they're getting this. Well, I, I think we didn't talk about it. We talked about the CR9s, the, the Canadair uh, CRJs that are coming from American and Mesa, severing their, their agreement. Uh, we didn't, I think we got off the podcast and as soon as we got off the podcast, United stated that they were going to take these planes. They were going to support Mesa, but now we have the details of that. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about how are they going to give them the scope clause and how many planes can they fly of that size? And basically at this point, United has confirmed it's going to park some of the 175s in favor of these CRJ 900s. Um, there's also, there was some talk, I think it was Kirby, the United CEO basically said, He's been promised that they can get more efficient use out of the crew on the 900s than the 175 somehow, and I don't understand that at all. But they seem to think it's going to be better for, I guess, per dollar spent on flying regionals. I don't know. So they're going to park the 175s and not the 170s? Okay. No, I'm asking. Oh, sorry. I, I don't know. The 175s is weird. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. The 170s are ancient. They're, most of them are probably hitting their end of life. That I'd understand. But the 175s, it's kind of like, well, most of these are new. I mean, there's some older ones, but most of them are relatively new. Yeah, and United is also taking a 10% stake in Mesa. Oh, that seems like a smart move. Um, they're giving them, like, I think it's $40 million in financing and then buying out a bunch of the engines or something for $80 million, so taking over some of the assets, uh, but also giving them some cash to sort of try to get things sorted. Um there are still a lot of open questions on this one. Like, if they're keeping their bases in Dallas and Phoenix, how are they going to be efficiently operating out of Denver for United? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the operationally more efficient question, I, I don't understand that. Are they just going to use these on shorter hops, and that's why they're saying it's more efficient? Or, like, I don't understand how this plane could be more efficient. I have no operationally. idea. Yeah. Um, and Mesa is... Finally, actually, I think raising, or is it Mesa was, or there was another, you know, maybe it was GoJet just raised its pilot rates. Payment. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts in the regional world still. Huh. I mean, if they had said, oh, we're getting rid of the CR2s for these, I'd been like, amen, hallelujah. Yeah. But, so here, here's a question, and something I, you know, one of those things I keep meaning to look up, but like, there has certainly been a shift away from 50 seat planes in a lot of markets. Yeah. Um, it's basically impossible to buy a new 50 seat plane today jet certainly um which raises a whole lot of questions for like the future of the industry but like are there going to just not be 50 seat markets in 10 years or i mean it at some point you sort of say aviation continues to grow and so you know at a three percent annual compounded rate whatever like the 50 seat markets become 70 seat markets at some point Mm -hmm. right everything just slides up upgaging and you're probably not going to get too many new airports in the United States so you don't have to worry about that but like do you just run out of 50 seat markets hmm. or you reduce frequency 
Right. Well, you have to. I think I don't remember if we talked about this with the Delta stuff last or two weeks ago when we in our last episode where like my parents live in Gainesville, Florida, which is a historically had been a 50 and then a 70 seat market. And now is instead of getting seven flights a day is down to four, but sometimes it's mainline. Mm-hmm. And so if my parents want to come home, they like the last flight home is at 11 o'clock at night and there's no more, you know, 830 or nine o'clock PM flights. So they don't get home till after midnight now from Atlanta. Yeah, you, you mentioned that. I mean, I think it's I think you're just going to see that more and more. And then eventually, maybe eventually they get to a 70 seat market I don't, or they grow enough. And then, you know, at, even at 70 seats, you start to have enough frequencies. Yeah. Or, I mean, if it doesn't, right, you just don't do it daily. <laughs> right? It's like the milk runs, right? Yeah. They don't happen every day. Yeah. Like the island opera. Oh, we're not going to talk about that. Like the milk runs are sort of captured traffic, though, right? They don't have an option. I mean, they have, the ferry is basically your only option, so that's worse. Versus if you're in Gainesville, you can drive 90 minutes to Jacksonville or drive two hours to Orlando. I'm trying to think like, I mean, when I think of some of these markets, right, like CR2 markets, especially like in California or Colorado. So, you know, yeah, Redding, so I, Eureka. two hour drive options. Yeah, Eureka or something in the mountains in Colorado. One, there's not two hour drives, but also are those places capable of growing more? Like you don't hear a lot of people going, well, I'm moving to Eureka, California. Like that's just not maybe in the long term, but you know, you talk about aviation growth oh, right. as a whole. I think it's growing at three percent, but I don't know that these markets necessarily grow at that three percent. That would or be that, an or that they can, right? I mean, yeah. you're right. Like you, you get tourist-driven markets, anything like, like, and especially something in the mountains where like you can't just bulldoze the next forest over and build houses. Like yeah. that you're next forest over is actually a sheer cliff that drops three thousand feet. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of that's kind of where I'm I'm going. Is like I don't know that some of these markets are constrained due to you know actual availability i think it's they're constrained physically or there, there is no way that they're gonna they're gonna grow so i, I don't know it's weird it's a weird problem to solve yeah and, and like it, globally there's a whole bunch of markets that probably still need 50 seaters also so i don't know what's gonna happen there true and, and some of these markets like in the united states i'm thinking about you know I, we talked about bend with uh alaska right so redmond is the airport uh, it used to be q400s well they've basically stopped portland to to Redmond on Alaska because it's there's no Q400s anymore, you know, in the next year. And so they've stopped that flying. So if you want to connect, you have to fly boutique air. So maybe we'll see more of that, like these like little almost taxi-like 19-seaters. Yeah. I don't know. How we, far is that flight? How long? How many miles? It's, it's I think it's like 160 miles, but it's over the mountain. It's over the range, like sure. mountain range. So, But does that become the mini electric aircraft far enough, you know, short enough that they can do it one way or even round trip on a single charge. They can do it once or twice a day. Mm-hmm. And if the planes are cheap enough, it works. I mean, I could I could see that. Like, it's the same with Pendleton, which is further. I mean, it's like 220 miles maybe uh, from Portland. And they do that like three times a day. I think that would be a good market for that. Um, yeah. It makes sense. Right, but you do. And one of the arguments for the sort of electric aircraft and EV tall stuff is like very frequent taxi like services. Yeah. But they're much smaller, right? It's only, I guess, boutique is Pilatuses, are they, right? They're like PC 12s. Yeah. PC 12s, so there's 10, 12 seaters, whatever, yep. however many people fit in one of those. Um, if you're running a four or five seater, it's obviously you need more to make up that capacity. 
And if you're replacing a 50-seater, you need a lot more to replace that capacity. But if they're cheap enough and electric and around by the end of the decade, maybe there's a chance. Yeah, I think I, I think it's realistic, right? So it's it's 146 miles to Redmond. Okay. So over, over the mountain range. So And that's using roads, so I'm guessing it's a little shorter. Via the yeah. Air. Or do we see turboprops come back? <laughs> oh, the old 1900s. I mean, the industry goes through this cycle, right, where they're like, all jet, all jet, then they go back to turboprops. They've tried a couple times. Has there been a return to turboprops that's been successful lately? I mean, I would argue that United's last attempt with the Q4s or Continentals did last a fair bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. Was it successful? Uh, Yeah, I don't think it was successful. I don't think people enjoyed it. It's funny, the experiment, though, that took place there, right, like adding first class to make them better. I would argue the Q400s with first were better than an RJ with first on those routes because they flew lower and you got there faster. Oh, that's true. And there was I also think... the claim that they would be able to beat New York airspace because they do that cross one runway that never came through fruition. So, yeah, you know, never happened. 116 miles in the air, Stephen. So even better. Yeah. Tourette. Even better. I mean, I see what your point, Foz, like you could do. But then at that point, why not just run PC-12s more frequently or something? Like what, what they're what they're already kind of doing just more frequent. Um, Do you have pilots for that? Yeah, well, that's the other thing. And, you start well, giving everybody a pilot's license. It's funny. Yeah, and at least right now, right, will a com- will a larger commercial airline, like, right, um, put their name on a flight operated by a single pilot? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Or do and you- SkyWest seems to think so, right? Where's Sky, right? SkyWest wanted to do their SkyWest charter or whatever yep. they're calling it, SkyWest Commuter, whatever they're calling it. And I think they either got approval or are moving towards it. There was another filing from a bunch of pilots saying, please don't do this, DOT. Um, but they're moving in that direction. Or do you see tag flights? So, like, multi-stop, like they do in, you know, far yeah. exotic places. Those are terribly, un- like, financially challenging. Just because they, you have to, like, make money on each segment to make it work? or it's It's really hard to convince passengers especially if they're connecting anyways to take the extra stop versus a one stop somewhere else and you all you have to basically make money yeah you have to make money at both destinations they're not necessarily on the the third leg of the triangle but you got to make potentially make money on both destinations it's hard to do that and here i am trying to book all the way through on like boutiques like southeastern network or yeah (laughs) 18 one ways all the way across the country yes i would love to i want to try it yeah anyway all right, we've 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 talked this to death. Uh, let's talk travel meltdowns, because that's a thing. Um, no, no, it's, the last two weeks have been super chill. It's been great. It's been cold, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about just in general. There was a large storm that affected most of the United States. All of the airlines, I think, for a couple of days had issues. Yeah, Alaska had the most cancellations on Tuesday the what, 21st, 20th? Yeah, pr- pretty, Seattle was pretty much shuttered. I yeah, PDX didn't, nothing moved for the whole day. Um, so Alaska suffered. Yeah, they came to like 30 or 40% of their flights that Tuesday or Wednesday, I think. Yeah. and But recovered. I mean, they started operating things the next day. Uh, United didn't seem to struggle as much uh, as the storm moved further east, I guess. They had a big set of cancellations in Chicago and some in Denver. But generally, it was okay. Yeah. It was, if you looked at what was hysterical, is if you clicked on their... There's, there might be a weather waiver for your destination. It listed like two thirds of the country. Yeah, hundred forty yeah. something out of two hundred and ten 
U.S. destinations had a weather waiver for United. It was literally two thirds. It was great. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know at that point why you just enlist everything. <laughs> There's a weather waiver. You, you're you're included. We promise. Well, Canada did. <laughs> Seriously, right? WestJet and Air Canada and maybe Porter all were like, good luck. If you can find something operating, we'll put you on it. If not, we'll give you your money back. Sorry about that. I mean, that's really that's really the way it should have been over this during this storm for people. Although, I don't know Americans would have made the right decision. They probably still would have tried to fly. They did. Pictures of them all sitting <laughs> in the airport still. Yeah. Uh, how did American and Delta fare? American Same? did very well. Uh, they had, like, in the days after the storm, I think for the two days after, maybe one or two controllable cancellations. They actually had like, one day where they did zero cancels. There was some delays. They took, you know, Delta playbook, eight-hour delay on a DFW Honolulu, I think. But yeah. uh, zero cancels. American did very well. Um, and deserves kudos for that. Uh, Allegiant canceled some flights. They canceled mine. Oh, that was cool. I got to rebook how did, how did, last minute on Spirit. So how did they okay. handle it? Okay. Um, right. Got an email and a text. I actually, it's funny as I I tried to do my online check in right while they were in the process of canceling the flight. It turns out, <laughs> like I got an error on the website. Oops. Tried again. Oops. Went and checked the flight status, canceled, and then my phone blew up with a text message and an email saying, your flight's been canceled, we're very sorry. But I discovered it by doing check-in, not actually getting the message yet. So, like, wow. it just, but, like, within minutes, it was pretty funny. Um, found an alternate flight from a different airport and a different, from and to different airports, but within enough, you know, within 60 minutes at each end. Rebooked the rental car. The part that I had struggled with was I was going to try to keep the return the same, mm-hmm. and... It ended up being it would be a one way rental car here, and then we had parked at the airport in New Hampshire, so I didn't. It would have been to the wrong airport there, also, and so because of that, we ended up switching it. But there was no way on the Allegiant website to drop just the canceled segment and keep the return hmm. that I could find. And I asked on Twitter, and they didn't respond. So like, and I wasn't going to deal with phone queues if I could avoid it. Yeah. So I ended up finding a cheap enough Southwest flight home from into the same airports that we actually flew south on. And rebooked the rental car. Actually, on my southbound flight, randomly a pilot friend of mine was on board. And we were chatting about what my reroute was going to be. And he suggested that. I was like, oh, you know what? You're right. Went back to my seat, used the Wi-Fi to rebook the rental car and rebook my flight home. Like, book the rental. You know, so I always laugh. Like, who books their rental car in their air- in their hotel while they're still on the plane? The answer is me. Um, but not, not rarely. But I did. I booked my... I got a Hertz confirmation and canceled the other one. I had a, had an existing reservation and like there was a one way and I re, rebooked as a round trip to and from Orlando MCO and walked to the counter. I'm like, hey, can you just make sure you've got the right reservation when I pick up this car? And they took care of it. He's like, yeah, I see you just made this booking. So, um, but on the fly, re, literally on the fly, rebooked everything 10 minutes before we landed in Florida. How, how, do, you, how do you feel about uh, Southwest for your return? I am... Very confident today, and today is Saturday the 31st. Yeah. Uh, if you had asked me that yesterday, I would have said, eh, it's looking pretty good because Friday they did okay. If you'd asked me that on any of these six days prior to that while we were in Florida and I was sitting on that reservation, I would have said, I've moved to Florida. Please forward my mail. I mean, it is it is absolutely. I mean, they've for four days straight, they canceled more than 70% of that schedule. Between 60 and 70%. Yeah. It was insane. I mean, the first two I days. The first two days weren't on purpose. The second two days were on purpose, at least. Yeah. So I had friends that were leaving on Christmas Day to surprise some family from Portland. They were leaving Portland. They were going to 
uh, St. Louis via Denver. And uh, they had changed from Chicago because they were like, Stephen, you know, this seems like Chicago seems like a risk. And I was like, yeah, you should definitely change from Chicago, the weather, everything on Christmas Day. Uh, so they changed to Denver. We had a good feeling. Everything was on time. They show up at the airport. I leave. I drop them off and leave. They have two kids. Uh, and like I'm checking their flight as I'm at home and I re- refresh the app and it literally says canceled at their departure time. And I texted them. I said, did your flight really just cancel? And they said, yeah, we don't really, they hadn't, no one said anything. The agent closed the, put the thing on the the sign, like updated the sign and then closed the door behind them and like walked off. Seems about right. And I was like, you're not serious. And they're like, no, no, we're completely serious. And so I went and picked them up and they said that there was a flight attendant at the gate on hold for like four hours with crew scheduling, trying to work the flight that they were on and no one answered the phone. But they weren't assigned to it so they couldn't get the flight out. Yep. So they just came yeah. So, and this is what we're at, right? So we've gone through the full list. Everybody had problems during the storm. That's very clear. Southwest's crew scheduling and some other systems too, but mostly crew scheduling basically collapsed under the load of how do we rebook crew on thousands of or hundreds to thousands of canceled flights. And then every time they tried to redo a schedule, it would take six to eight hours to produce a working version. And that's assuming they knew where everybody was, which was a big guess because the way their system, crew scheduling system works, it doesn't actually confirm that people are where they are. It just assumes that they made their flight unless you tell it otherwise. Yep. Uh, and then while things were happening, like more flights would cancel so people wouldn't be down line where they were going to be needed and things would fall apart again. And so they had a terrible, terrible weekend Monday afternoon and they didn't tell anybody anything, which was really the worst part of it all. Like zero messaging, yep. terrible communications from management, no statements to media or to the passengers. It was bad. Still hasn't been really good, but at least the CEOs made a couple interviews now. Um, that, that, yeah, they, so like Saturday, Sunday were terrible by Monday. It was still a mess and they sort of finally admitted on Monday afternoon, you have to shut it down and reboot and rebooting an airline is hard. JetBlue has done it a couple times. They had the Valentine's Day meltdown. They had another one a few years later. Um, JetBlue is tiny compared to Southwest. Southwest represents 20% ish, 18% ish of the U S capacity. Yeah. So when Southwest cancels 60% of their flights, that's 10% of U.S. flights gone. Mm-hmm. You're talking about millions of customers. Millions of affected passengers. And so I'm like, oh, well, you know, it'll be days before they all get rebooked. It's like weeks if everybody actually tried to fly. Yeah. Here, here's what irritates me about the whole... One, they weren't clear in their communication, right? Yes. Frontline employees were kind of tie, had their hands tied because they knew just as much as everybody else. And management was sticking to the, it's weather, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I had a debate back and forth. My parents had a flight that was six and a half hours delayed. They were in San Diego trying to get to Las Vegas to drive down to the Grand Canyon. They just drove. They already had the rental car for a couple hundred bucks. They changed the rental car. Smart choice. Fine. But I was like, hey, your flight is very, very delayed. My parents aren't going to take it. And they were in the car at this point. I'm me. So I was doing this just via Twitter. I was like, please go ahead and refund. They're like, oh, well, no, we can only give them a credit because the flight hasn't canceled. I'm like, your contract of carriage says significantly delayed this and that. Please do the right. And, I, and actually, one of the points is like, and quite frankly, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, at this point in this. And so, on. and this was all on Monday during the day while the meltdown was still happening, like Sunday night into Monday. By like Wednesday or late Tuesday, they finally admitted that that flight should have been flagged as controllable cancellation. Everybody gets full refund and reimbursement for any ancillary expenses. But 
I was, you know, acting too quickly, I guess, and pushing for getting the right thing. And they they weren't doing it. And I get it. Like the frontline employee is told, this is what our policy is. And eventually when I said, you know, thank you for your explanation, I'll be including this transcript in my message to the DOT when I file a complaint, suddenly got a one-time exception. Yeah. <laughs> There's a but reason I do everything in writing. But. But that's pathetic though, right? Like it's pathetic that you have to like hold out this, you know, stick to say. Yeah. Mildly uh, threatening. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I was very clear to say, I know it's not you, but the company has made this decision. Yeah. Like, I am going to make decisions on behalf of me that aren't in line with your company's best interests. So so we, we have some friends that work at Southwest. I was actually going to pose the question to them. How much does, does Hawaii operations, how much did it cause a problem? Right? Because if you look at the number of flights that they have someone from Hawaii. As someone who was in Hawaii during this, it was actually working. Like Southwest was working because they were all stuck there, right? So they could operate the inner island flights. Yeah, the uh, the planes were there. I mean, there were a couple of cancellations to the mainland, but it wasn't just Southwest. It was weird. Like the, uh, coming back on know, Saturday, Christmas Eve, Maui to Newark, three flights to LA canceled. Southwest, hmm. Southwest Alaska, and United. Hmm. I wonder if that was that because of how they schedule it, though. That was probably crews who were supposed to fly it on the twenty third during the storm. And got get stuck, and the crew wasn't there to fly back. The planes would have come in, right? Was that was the inbound planes, and the, the plane would turn around with a different crew because it's more than four hours, like right, it's a five-ish hour flight from the mainland yeah. over. So you need a new set of pilots and flight attendants to go back. Yeah, so I think flight, if the crew didn't come in on the twenty-third, they wouldn't have been there to go back on the twenty-fourth. Yeah, I mean, but it was. I was expecting everything to be lit up, but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And Stephen, it's a good question, right? Like, could they have just run their inner island schedule because they had flight attendants hanging out and doing nothing? In theory, yes. But crew scheduling would have had to re- reassign them and mm-hmm. tell them that they were running, you know, congratulations, you live in Hawaii now. We have a local base in Honolulu. Get flying. Yeah. Um, and if crew scheduling couldn't operate, like, that isolated chunk, also, is it worth operating that isolated chunk if you don't have any of the connecting passengers coming through? But Yeah, yeah. I mean... It- Brings up a question though, right? I, have we become like I have a long-standing belief that technology should be a tool and not a crutch. Have we gotten to the point where technology is now a crutch? For, for and the that you couldn't put the computers away and manually schedule uh, six thousand flights, or just have no other method of doing it, right? Like the from talking to one of our United friends ages ago, the reason they like this crew scheduling software is not because. Um, they need it. They necessarily need it, but it maximizes the time that they can get out of a, a person. Sure, and, and it, it, it that adds a lot of complexity. But that complexity clearly comes at a cost. When things yeah, I mean, at some point, though, I think you get to the you get to a situation where an operation is big enough, you can't have manual be the backup. You can have a different computer system potentially, but <laughs> that's fair. Are you? Are you but like the fact that they had, they, how do you manually entire, schedule five thousand flights in a day? I, you, like, you don't, you don't. But you could manually schedule a, a portion of them to be rely uh, to be consistent. Like, right? It seems like everything just fell apart. Like it wasn't just crew scheduling; it was they couldn't even get through on phones. Yeah, it, it's a much bigger problem. It's not just the software failing. There, this is a systematic problem of epic proportions. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think yes and no. There's a linchpin. You know, I. A single thing and everything else collapsed around it. You pull the one stone out, you pull that keystone out the top and the whole arch collapses, right? If if scheduling was working, you wouldn't have had 
8,000 flight attendants all calling at the same time trying to figure out where they're supposed to be and get a hotel room because their flights were canceled. So it, it, it is a little chicken and egg, I suppose, right? Like, if the weather hadn't happened, you wouldn't have had a bunch of flight attendants out of position who then all had to get reset and rescheduled. But, um, it's, but, but like, so, so the hotel thing is a great example, right? Like, why not have a, a circuit breaker where if we run a situation like this, do this for your hotel, don't worry about calling. Mm, I agree right? with that. That would take the pressure off some of that, right? It's it's little things like that, and that's what I mean. The technology aspect, right? They have to like get in essence, just like a passenger. When you get distressed, you have to wait for a stupid voucher in that super long line. Why not just automate that? And yeah. so, and here's your allowance. Go do it. And there are some companies that have created some, like right United. I think uses one. I think Delta does too. There's like a and some of the European airlines are even better about this. Like. If your flight is canceled, you get a text message with it, or in the United States, it's a printout. But like, here's your one-time credit card code. Go use it. And you yeah. sort of have to wait in line. But there's, there, I think at one point, they were supposed to push them into the app. Yeah, the, uh, they were supposed to, and they might have tried it, but I don't think they Yeah. Stuck. All right. So, like, there are some companies working towards that type of stuff. Um, one of the, it, the interesting things that got raised when Southwest finally admitted they were going to reimburse everybody was, we'll reimburse reasonable expenses. Don't worry about it. Like, try to get where you're going. And someone raises the question, like, what's reasonable, right? If if it's the last seat out going where I'm going and it's full fare F, are they going to pay for that? If it's the last hotel room available is at the four seasons instead of the four points, are they going to pay for that? And, you know, my, my response was along the lines of assume they're going to reimburse whatever you give them and the airline should reimburse whatever gets submitted and recognize that the vast majority of customers aren't trying to screw the airline and the, there's a couple that will and they'll get away with it and like life goes on yeah i agree i agree with that i so i i generally agree with Foz too like you need to have something in place that says how do we remove the weight off off our systems when it becomes overwhelmed yes, part of that is is like you need to have a system in place for your employees to know oh if i can't get through to crew scheduling and you know whatever or i can't get through to book a hotel I'm allowed to book a hotel, you know, uh, uh, up to this amount on my own, and they'll reimburse me. Knowing yeah. that, it is in, in extenuating circumstances. Problem is that people abuse that eventually, but I think you you deal with that after the fact. I, you can deal with the abuse when it happens, and yeah. quite frankly, it's cheaper to pay for the abuse than to you know have your entire operation shut down for four days. Yeah. So so here's a question, right? Like the DOT has now said they've kind of come out and said these are the expectations we have. Um, they, they want, they want all the stranded passengers to their destinations as quickly as possible. They want reimbursement for meals, hotels, and ground transportation to or from the hotels. They want prompt refunds within seven days, uh, for credit card yeah. uh, tickets. And then they want to ensure that passengers are quickly reunited with their baggage. Are they actually going to hold Southwest feet to the fire on this? Because some of the baggage stuff is the most worrying. Like it, there are bags everywhere. Yeah. Bags are the hardest to get done, and it's, you know, there's no timeline on that one, so they've got some flexibility. I would say, based on the language that has come out so far, yeah, Southwest should expect that if they don't do this stuff, serious fines are coming. Yeah. And the unfortunate is the fines just go to the government, not to the passengers, but um, Buttigieg and whatever, they I think has been pretty clear... And especially after the airlines took that celebratory, you know, victory lap after Thanksgiving being so perfect. Yeah. Um, and everyone's like, yeah, it was good because you had good weather. And we've now demonstrated that if it's not good weather, you know, nine out of 10 airlines did okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> Karma. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Canada then. So Sunwing, uh, they closed Saskatoon and Regina for five weeks. Yeah, this I mean, right? There was the other Canadian meltdown, and all the airlines had trouble, and they sort of sort of shut down and then came back, and they were doing fine, but. Sunwing is apparently having a lot of operational problems and staffing problems. They actually brought in Global Crossing, which is Miami-based charter operator, to try to get some extra capacity flying and apparently like, put out a statement basically saying, we fly from these two airports once or twice a week to places in Mexico and uh, maybe like Arizona or something, but like warm destinations. Yeah. And all flights through March 3rd are canceled. Excuse me, February 3rd are canceled. We're very sorry. Uh, if you're, if you haven't gone southbound yet, you're not going, if you're stuck somewhere away, we're working on figuring out how to get you home. But like the, like, are they the ones that like shut down for the season and had a canceled flight to Cancun or like left a bunch of people in Cancun? I think it, I think it was, I think it was Sunling. Yeah. Wasn't that Sun Country? Oh, Sun Country. Yes. Sunny airline. Yeah. 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 But like, they literally are like, we're working on getting you home. Just chill or stay warm, I guess. Uh, have an edible and calm the fuck down. Yeah. Well, that's, that's our one. That's our one. Uh, <laughs> are edibles legal in Mexico? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> They're legal here. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So that that's also not great. Um, just, and uh, the airline recovery is messy. I mean, it comes down to, it comes back to Faz's point, right? Like we, we do rely on technology for a lot of this stuff. I mean, we, I think all three of us work in industries where we're modernizing or we see the effects of not modernizing your technology in a timely fashion, but also that new technology doesn't always, you know, fix all the problems. Like it's it often it's, introduces new problems. Yeah. It introduces its own uh, ill effects, I will say. Uh, in some cases, and sometimes people need to be left up to make their own decisions. Um, employees it, by, is what I mean by that. So, yeah, it sucks for everybody that got stuck. What were you going to say, Fuzz? No, I mean, at some point, right, like employers have to trust employees, right? Yeah. And in a situation like this, if they had a lot of this, not a lot, a fair bit of the stress would have been relieved if they let employees just self-manage themselves, yeah. right? You've now created a situation where Employees aren't getting rest when they need to get rest. Like it's, it's it only exasperates the bigger. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's talk about uh, Amazon freighter capacity. Amazon has too many too many freighters, too much capacity. People aren't buying Prime shit anymore. Well, I think people are buying stuff. It's uh, more that people buy stuff in different places and. Mm. Uh, the the two examples I saw talking. So, I mean, yes, there's excess capacity. There's been a lot of actual sudden concern about freighter capacity overgrowth because belly cargo is coming back. Yep. And belly cargo, especially for the sort of smaller electronics type stuff, sort of quick overnights and things yep. like that, handles a lot of that capacity historically. Um, not necessarily the big heavy stuff, which is better on pallets and containers on its own. But uh, you. There's airlines that like know, for example, when you've worked cargo for a long time, that flying salmon from Iceland to the United States, you probably go home empty, or you got to find yeah. something else in the market where you're at to bring back. Yeah. Well, Amazon's flying a lot of stuff to Hawaii and to Alaska because you know there's a lot of people out there ordering with their Prime and whatever. But there's that Amazon didn't have packages coming back, so it basically had empty planes flying back towards. Uh, the lower 48 and now is like huh 
do we need to get a contract with Dole delivering pineapples? Do we need a contract with, you know, the fisheries up there bringing crab and salmon back into the the 48 because those planes are coming back empty because what little we were moving back and forth is no longer moving as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I get it for Hawaii. For Alaska, I'm surprised because I would think that stuff coming from Asia being basically sorted out in Anchorage, they could they get all, I would think. Those are, but that would assume that the cargo carriers want to drop it in Anchorage and into Amazon, like transfer to Amazon at yeah. Anchorage, and Amazon would need a massive sort facility and it would be huge versus letting it continue to Ontario or nothing yeah. California and all the other places where the 747s continue to. Mostly 747s, there's some others also, but like, right, the freighters continue into the lower 48. And again, it's you, you get it as far as you can as quick as you can. You're right. Amazon could theoretically start sort of sorting, doing sorting further away and taking advantage of its capacity like that. But like, if it's only got a few 763s up there and there's 74s coming across that are mostly just feeding Amazon uh, yeah. depots anyways, it might not work quite as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting how to see how the logistics nerds figure this one out. Uh, I'm not a logistics nerd, so... I, I'm yep. sure they have algorithms. I think you're somewhat logistics logistically nerdy. Really? You think? Yeah. Okay. But you're. Well, I think all of us are nerdy in many ways. So I just put that out. Yeah, there. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I mean, could they? And this is specifically Hawaii and, and uh, Alaska. They're not seeing this anywhere else in the United States, where they're like coming back with empty planes. I don't think there is as much of it. Those, yeah. and certainly, I'm just basing this off a story I read. So okay. Uh, so Lufthansa might actually get ITA now. Who would have thunk? This is weird. Um, in so many ways, clearly the Italian government has a plan and they're trying to make it look transparent and it's very much not, uh, you think so they have fun. a plan? Well, I mean, as much as the Italian government has ever had a plan. A scheme. They have a scheme. Yeah. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so when last we spoke about ITA, the successor to Alitalia, the uh, a consortium from Delta Air France and some uh, finance company, hedge fund, whatever, was ready to buy them. They had won the blessing of the Italian government. They were the leading bidder. And then something there went sideways and it was put out to rebid whether they were hoping for more money or not. And then when that didn't work out, the Italian government changed the rules and said, an airline has to front the cash. We don't want, we want the leading participant to be an airline, not a third party, whatever. <laughs> and that basically Delta and Air France KLM didn't want to stump the cash. And I don't know if Delta even can still because of the PPP funding, um, or PSP, whatever the, yeah. the government bailouts. Um, so that's, they're sort of now unable to do it. Lufthansa Group had MSC, which is a big shipping company, like yep. containers on ships, uh, working on it. But they sort of had pulled out anyways. And Lufthansa's like, oh, fine. Well, we've got the cash and we've wanted them for like 30 years. So I guess we can go ahead and do it. And so now it seems like Lufthansa is going to buy out their chunk of Alitalia or ITA, whatever. Ugh. But in large part because they have basically been given the opportunity and sort of pushed into it and staged and positioned and whatever by the government. Huh. Even though the government at various times was like, nope, not you. 
somehow it's all come back to that. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to re-register the domain? <laughs> Alitalia.life? Yes. <laughs> Is Alitalia flying? I actually, it was uh, a little sad that I let the domain expire by the time the answer was no. Uh, yeah, I'm sad too. What? What's wrong with you? Eh. <laughs> it was like six bucks to keep the domain alive and I didn't want to do it. You're like, yeah, it's six bucks. Yeah. That was more Order, like. I'm going to be an airline. Got some yeah. orders here. Uh, I, cu- I couldn't keep my crew scheduling systems running, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, sweet. Well, I think that's that's a show, guys. We're going to talk about all of the diversions in the bonus topic. There's been a lot in the last couple of weeks. Some interesting variants too. Yes, very interesting stuff going on. So we're going to talk about that at the uh, at the bonus show. If you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around for that. If not, you can join and support the show. Uh, we appreciate you listening. I'd love to hear your feedback and comments. Did you get affected by the Southwest debacle? Or maybe another airline. I don't know. Maybe it was Sunwing. Uh, or, yeah, Sunwing of Canada. Screwed you. Who knows? Uh, but we'd like to hear about it. So, uh, yeah, until next time, happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. And happy new year. Oh, yeah, happy new year.